0: What is up all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. It is a really good, powerful episode for you guys today. Nejwa Zabian is here. She is a poet, an author, an activist, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear some of the stuff that she has to say on today's episode. So sit back, grab those self-love journals and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19, can you believe that? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book? Have you to chapter 6? He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? <laughs> and this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't okay you guys i can't wait to dive into this episode today nejwa is such a beautiful soul she has had such an incredible journey from writing her books to coming from lebanon to canada it her story is just really miraculous and she's so wise and i'm really excited for her to share some of that knowledge with you all. One of the things we talk most about in this episode is building a home within yourself. And I think a lot of you guys are really going to benefit from the way she describes it and the way we talk about being able to let go. There's some healing tips and tricks in here, um, and it's really going to uh, make you want to grab a copy of her books. So let's get into it. Nezwa, welcome to FML Talk. I am so honored to have you here. I'm so happy to finally connect with
1: you this way because, you know, your content has been coming up for a while and it seems like I know you, but I don't really know you. So I'm happy that we finally get to have this conversation.
0: I love that. I feel that way too, and so much of your content speaks directly to my soul, and I know it does to many other women as well. Um, so I can't wait to dive in. Before we get into it, can you kind of give everybody a little bit of a background of your your history and your journey that's brought you to doing what you do now?
1: Yeah. So I started writing when I was 13 years old. I was living in Lebanon at the time. And I started writing in my journal just about feeling like I I didn't fit in, like I didn't belong. Um, My parents would travel often, so I spent quite a bit of time living with different relatives. And so the theme that always came up was I wanted to feel like I mattered to someone, I wanted to feel like at the end of the day, when I came home, that someone looked forward to seeing me. And that was never the case. It was always mm-hmm. I would see it around with my cousins and with my friends, but not with me. So I started writing just to give myself a, a voice that way. Not that I knew at 13, what giving yourself a voice means, but it just felt like the only relieving thing I could do that would help, and um, at the age of 16, right at my 16th birthday, I moved to Canada where my whole family was here at the time. Like my parents were here, my brothers, sisters. And um, it. I didn't plan to fully move to Canada, but I was kind of stuck here because a couple weeks after I arrived, um, the war broke out in Lebanon, so I couldn't go mm. back. It was a very sensitive year. It was right before grade 12 and university. And so I had to make a choice, which really didn't feel like a choice. So the result of me feeling like I was always displaced based on what worked for everybody, kind of built a a sense of resentment within, but I Mm -hmm. didn't know that that's what it was. But instead of resenting others, because I'm not the kind of person to do that, I don't usually give myself permission to even hold people accountable sometimes because I'm I'm just very kind um, in nature and that's how I was raised, you know, from a very young age. And so instead of, you know, turning that resentment to the outer world, I kind of turned it inwards and I just didn't want to feel anymore. And I stopped writing because every time I would write, I would feel like I was so aware of the pain I was going through, but also mm. how helpless I was. So I stopped writing for about seven years. And then when I started teaching, my very first teaching assignment was a group of young refugees from Libya. And I, I vividly remember the first time I saw them seeing that same look I knew I had. Mm. You know, when I came here at 16, that look of like, what am I doing here? And and I don't fit in here. I don't belong here. I don't and so I started writing again to empower them to feel like they don't need to fight for a place, that they are welcome, that they don't need to try so hard to just get to the level of everyone else around them. And in a way, I was healing all the wounds I didn't heal at 16 years old and at 13 years old and at every incident that happened in my life. And those writings, um, I compiled them into a book that I self-published in 2016, that's Mind Platter. And the rest is history. That's how I started writing. It was a cry to express myself in a way where I wanted to be able to say, this is how I feel. This is how I think. This is what hurts me. This is what I'm okay with. This is what I'm not okay with. And... I know there are people out there in the world who feel that way too, and I want them to feel heard and seen as well. And so after Mind Platter, it was very well received. I I grew on Instagram like by hundreds of thousands of followers, and then I self-published another book later that year, and then I got a publishing deal for those two books and a third one. And then um, most recently, I got another publishing deal for my fourth book, Welcome Home. Which is really that journey I was just telling you about. It's where do I belong? I belong within, with myself, because my home is within me, not within anyone else.
0: So that's a long,
1: long answer um, (laughs) that I think would help anybody just
0: know who I am yeah, that's beautiful. And let's just dive into to what you said at the tail end of that building a home within, because I think mm-hmm. that's such a beautiful statement. And I talk a lot about that in in my work and on my platforms of um, needing to not look outside yourself for that that love mm-hmm. or that validation and needing to find that within. But I know a lot of people really struggle with doing that. Um, can mm-hmm. you share a little bit about what it means to you to build a home within?
1: So sometimes it helps to understand it by understanding the opposite. And mm. I come from a teaching background. So that's one of the strategies I use as well. If there a, there isn't a way that I can make it super powerful, I'll tell you what the opposite is. And so I realized shortly after I published my first book, um, I was standing on stage giving my very first TEDx talk and It was about finding home through poetry, which is a title I came up with. And it was all about how, you know, uh, I found my place through writing. And I couldn't memorize the speech. Like, I'm really good at remembering things, but not not in a certain order, not in a certain Mm. sequence. And so I was like, I'm just going to go up on stage and say what's in my heart. I'm going to be as vulnerable as possible. So these words just came out the biggest mistake we make is that we build our homes and other people. We build those homes and we decorate them with all the love and care and kindness and respect that we want to come home to at the end of the day. And when those people walk away, those homes walk away with them and all of a sudden we feel empty. Mm. So this was the, the turning point for me in that is that that emptiness we feel doesn't mean that we have nothing within. It just means that we put it in the wrong place And if we were able to create it once, that means we are the source of it. That means we can create it again and give it to ourselves. So Mm. building a home within yourself means that you have a very solid foundation of self-awareness and self-acceptance. You know who you are authentically. You know who you are through your own eyes, not through the eyes of anybody else around you. Once you have that strong foundation of, that authenticity, there is absolutely no way that you would allow someone into your life, into your home, including yourself, who's walking in with disrespect for you, with unkindness towards you, with devaluing towards you. So building that home makes you the safest, most... Um. what's the word I'm looking for? The safest, most, you know, the person who believes in you more than mm. anyone else. And instead of just seeking that safety and that comfort and that validation from anybody else around you, because that feels good. It really does. And the reason sure. it feels good is we've been doing that our whole lives. Right. So, It means that you derive it from within and you don't need it from others. Now, here's the thing. Feeling hurt when someone doesn't validate you or doesn't give you the value that you know you deserve or the respect you know you deserve, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, you're human. Being at home with yourself doesn't mean you're untouchable. It means that you feel things, but you don't allow your wanting of those external validations um, to come to you to change your approach with how you validate yourself so you're not going to abandon yourself and who you are which in certain ways it means changing yourself or it means um, hiding parts of who you are just so that another person could be like oh I do see value in you because if they see value in you and that feels good, does it really feel good? Because they're not seeing value in you. They're seeing value in an image of you that you manufactured or created. So above that foundation, because in Welcome Home, I kind of walk people through like we start with the road to home. We understand why is it that throughout our lives we have been abandoning ourselves and not building a home within ourselves building it within other people and then you build the strong foundation of self-acceptance and self-awareness and then in your home you have rooms of self-love and forgiveness and compassion and surrender and clarity so feeling your feelings is in the surrender room because that's where you not just not just negative feelings and emotions but positive ones as well clarity shows you who you really are and who the world around you really is and what the world mm. around you really is. Self-love is, um, I don't need need to explain it, but giving yourself the love that you would give to someone that you love. And also, you know, this is this was one of the most mind-blowing things for me to imagine because logically we know what it means to love ourselves, but but it hits you sometimes when you think about it a certain way. And I thought, one day, if I were to list out the people who I love the most, who I would do yeah. absolutely anything for, do I see myself up there? Mm. Because yeah. And and I and at the mo at the time I didn't. I, I right. would put everybody else ahead. And so I say you put yourself at the top of that list because it's your responsibility to love yourself more than anyone else out there needs to love you. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from factor. Can you talk to me a little bit about the different rooms that you describe in the book um, that's in the house?
1: Yes. So with self-love, I just gave you a couple of examples, but I have certain tools in there. One of them is um, walk in your own shoes. So I give the example of how we always say, like, you know, if you were to walk in my shoes and you really empathize with other people, right? You... Uh, you put yourself in their shoes. So why not put yourself in your own shoes and Mm. try to give yourself the, actually that's in the compassion room. I mixed those two up because the compassion room is all about empathy and all about a willingness to help. The reason I named it compassion is because um, if I were to just put empathy, it's feeling with someone, but compassion combines empathy with a willingness to help. So in the compassion room, you show yourself empathy the same way you would show it to someone else. And you show yourself the willingness to help the same way that you show someone else the willingness to help. So you're having a bad day or if someone you love is having a really bad day and they come to you and they say, I just had an awful day at work. What would you do? You probably would, you know, make a nice meal, make sure that whatever it is that they feel relaxed, you give it to them. So do you do that for yourself when you have a really bad day or do you just kind of gaslight yourself out of your own needs and say, it's okay, I just, I'll just i do other things for other people and that will make me feel better? Right. Um, in the self-love room, uh, one of the tools is um, imagining that you have a power bubble around you. And I came up with this um, when I was working in a place where I felt like many of the people around me were really toxic and would say things about me behind my back that really hurt my feelings. And so I started imagining that I had this protective layer around me, like wherever I went, I could I could see them and I could see the hate and I could see the negativity, but I wasn't going to allow it to go past a mm. certain distance from me and from my heart. So Yes, it still hurt to know that they thought certain things about me, but knowing that none of those things were true, I wasn't going to allow myself to internalize them. They had to stay right. outside. And um, in the forgiveness room, that's one of the tools in the self-love room. There's There are I love so that. many more. Thank you. In the forgiveness room, I talk about forgiving others and also forgiving yourself. And, um, you know, I share quite a bit of stories from my own life where, You know, I share a reflection in the forgiveness room where I say, you know, I was sitting down trying to write this chapter and it just didn't sit right because I still felt like there were certain people who I really hadn't forgiven. What I did was I just put those events behind me in the past. Mm -hmm. And to me, forgiveness is never about saying what they did is okay. It's always about saying what you did to me no longer has control over me and I might need to forgive you once a month or once a week or once a day or once every five years when I remember what happened. But that forgiveness doesn't mean like we're at peace and we're fine and you're welcome into my life. No, right. it means it's for me, not for you. You have to deal with what you did. And so I sat down and had this like really deep reflection thinking, you know, I've, I've accomplished so much in my life and I've gotten to a point where I talk about forgiveness all the time. Like, how is it that I haven't fully forgiven? And it's because I, I numbed, like I, I I I looked at the strength that I had acquired despite what these people put me through and I thought that that was it, that that was okay, that I just, I didn't need to revisit those things. And every time I th- I thought back to those events, I would still feel very hurt and I was like, I need to forgive and move on. And um, I know I, I've seen some of your videos and other people's as well, where they say like, you don't have to forgive, but you don't have to forgive in the sense that that's it. I'm putting it behind me and I'm never going right. to be hurt when I think about it. And No, for me, it's, it's just about, It could be a momentary thing where you say, I'm being pulled back into this event and pulled back into this pain and pulled back into thinking that maybe I deserve it. Forgiveness means that I say I actually didn't deserve it. That was wrong. Mm. I don't want it to affect me anymore because it doesn't deserve that kind of power. So, In the self-forgiveness room, there's many Uh, Tools as well. Um, One of them is um, it's a it's a cutting cords activity, which is so weird when I wrote it because I didn't know that that existed when I wrote it. Yeah, yeah, when I wrote it out, I I was like, this is literally what I feel because I felt like I was being controlled like a marionette Mm -hmm. by someone like emotionally, just and psychologically. And so I imagined like cutting those cords of like that power that I was giving certain right. people. And so the the scissors that you use to cut those cords are made of that foundation that you built your home upon, which is mm. self-forgiveness and self-awareness. I know who I am. I know what I deserve. I know what I didn't deserve and what I don't deserve, and so I'm going to cut this so that I don't give that person, that source of pain, more power to control me or to control who I become. I become who I become because of who I want to become. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I do intersperse some poetry into the uh, chapters, so for example, in the forgiveness room, at the very end, there's a poem that literally, it came to me like the first few lines which were i wish i could go back to the exact moment before the moment i met you so that line came mm. to me but I, I the others didn't and I, I just knew something was coming out of this so i wrote it down and then like 3 days later it just came to me in like 2 minutes so that's the repeating line i wish i could go back to the exact moment before the moment i met you and i list all these moments, like the moment before I walked out the door, the moment before I said hello, the moment before I smiled, the moment before I, and it's like an escalation of events. And then at the end, I say, but oh, how I wish that my wish never came true, or sorry, but oh, how grateful I am that my wish never came true, because I am who I am, and I am where I am, because I overcame all of that.
0: I use different
1: words, but There's just there's so much power in putting together stories and tools
0: and poetry, because I feel like a person reading this really feels heard and seen. So I love that when you talk about forgiveness, you talk about that you have to do it to not allow that to have control over you anymore. Whenever I talk about forgiveness, it's, you know, you're not forgiving the person because they deserve it. You're forgiving Mm -hmm. them so that you aren't held captive by those emotions anymore. Because when we, when we hold that anger or that resentment or that hate, it just, it affects our heart and our health and it, it it changes the type of life that we live. So the forgiveness is to be able to allow that blockage that has built up in us to let go and, and be free of that. So I love that you talk Absolutely. about it in that way.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Because f- to me, forgiveness always felt like a form of betrayal the way that it was explained to me because I never, ever, ever wanted to tell someone who was hurt that they needed to get to a point where they were just okay with what happened because right. it's, it's extremely okay for you to never be okay with something that happened to you. You can be at peace with it by saying, I know it happened, there's no point in me denying that it did or living in denial and maybe just seeking comfort in, in I don't know, anything in life that distracts me from this pain. You have every right to say, that wasn't okay that's what forgiveness is it's it's just it's the letting go part it's the seeing mm. things as they are and refusing to define yourself by them and refusing to allow yourself to dive into that pain as if it's just happening right now and it's it's a series of of moments where you become aware that you are getting sucked back in to that pain and you say I'm gonna allow it to come in just for a little bit, but then it has to leave because I have the right to live other moments and to have moments of joy. And that brings me to the surrender room, which is the room where I talk about letting your emotions in, whether they're positive ones or negative ones. And one of the tools in that room is sit with the pain. And I say, when pain knocks on your door, let it in, sit with it, have tea with it, listen to it, understand it, then walk it to the door because it's time for you to experience another feeling and another emotion. Mm. And so with events that you feel you have to forgive or people that you feel you have to forgive, you could totally use that approach because you give yourself permission to just let that pain pass through you as opposed to be a permanent resident in your home or in your space. And when you do that, you're the one in control because you say, I'm I'm going to feel this pain for 10, 15 minutes, but then I'm right. going to get up and I'm going to regroup and redirect and do something else and put my energy elsewhere. And sometimes with events that trigger you, especially traumatic events, you really can't control when you're triggered. And it's good to have a plan where you... Say the moment I sense that I'm triggered, I will ha- I will do that. I will call a friend. I will self soothe in some way. Um, so again, because I don't want anybody listening to say, well, I don't really have a choice with when I feel that pain, it's true you don't. But have a plan for what you would like to do when that pain knocks, so that you're not disoriented and constantly living in that state.
0: Yeah. And I really love when, you know, we talk so much about like inner child work and if, um, if you know you experience something like i lost my dad when i was six years old so a lot of my abandonment stuff i have to go back and talk to that six-year-old little girl that's living inside Mm me um, and kind of coach her through things and i love the analogy you gave of when when pain knocks like let them in and almost like having it in your mind's eye of like okay what does the pain look like is it a version of me that was from my past is it another person that i'm feeling this pain around and really like imagining whoever that is coming in and sitting down with you and having a conversation with them. That's Mm -hmm. really powerful to act something like that out. Like, what are they saying back to you? What are you, what do you need to say to them? And then walking them out the other end through a different door. Like that's incredible.
1: Yeah. Because you are the one in control. It's the same thing with meditation, right? You, you listen to your thoughts, you observe them, but you don't necessarily identify with them you just say oh that's interesting that my mind is telling me that that's interesting that i'm i'm feeling that but you're not saying i am that or that is 100 percent truth it's it's the same thing with those painful events and memories and people is that you can be aware of them but don't immediately think if that if i'm thinking that about this moment in the past then it somehow defines me or I'm I'm helpless in how I relive it or how long it stays no you're not helpless you can make a different choice for yourself in this moment and detach as much as you can um, in a way that's healthy for you and like I said with traumatic events that that genuinely you need a safety plan for that's a different story but but at the same time try to plan for it ahead of time for your own sake right. so that you're not pulled in for prolonged periods of time
0: yeah you know when i was growing up my mom um and i'm sure i've told this story on this podcast at some point but um <laughs> when i was in in my angsty teenage years, I got into a fight with my mom and we were, you know, arguing with each other and I started crying and I was like, well, I'm, you know, it's because dad died and she looked at me and she's like, no, Gabrielle, you're never going to use that as an excuse Ever again, you can be upset about it. You can have grief around it. You can speak about your feelings and be angry about it, but you'll never use that as an excuse to act a certain way ever again. And in that moment, I learned that Whatever things happen to us in life, you get to a crossroads and it's like, you know, you've done your grieving, you've, you've been angry and you get to a a crossroads and it's like, you can go one way and continue to be a victim to that situation and allow it to really define your life and, you know, choose to, to allow that burden uh, to stay with you, or you can go the other way and have it. Be something that happened in your life that is going to yeah. propel you forward and shape who you are, but not allow it to define you. And that was one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned in my life.
1: Absolutely. I agree with that so much. And at the same time, you know, you have to be compassionate with yourself and remember totally. that we all go through through these different stages where we are so angry or we are in denial or there's the stages of grief, right? Yeah. So it's okay for you to feel angry. It's okay for you to be in that state of denial. But it's the awareness piece of this is what I'm experiencing right now. And I'm very aware that I could either use it to justify bad behavior, or that I could use it to say, you know what, I need a break. I need someone to understand me, I need someone to listen to me, I need someone to help me. So it's what you're doing based on that awareness, because unfortunately, many people around us don't take that additional step to be aware of how what they're experiencing internally is manifesting externally towards others. There's quite a bit of defensiveness sometimes. There's quite a bit Mm. of uh, laying blame on past events that have happened or laying blame on others or not taking responsibility. And all of that is stemming from there's something going on internally that you don't want to deal with. And so for you to feel powerful in some way or good in some way, you're projecting it out there. So once you have that awareness, it really humbles you and it really destigmatizes You being vulnerable and real with the world around you and just saying you know what? I'm having a really bad day today And I just would like some alone time because I do know that if I'm around people I might not be the best version of myself Say that instead of actually being the worst version of yourself, you know? Um, Yeah,
0: yeah, the awareness and the accountability allows the vulnerability to be a lot more safe um, and Absolutely. what comes from that to be more acceptable, mm-hmm. I feel. Yes, yeah.
1: I agree. Many of us don't value that vulnerability or see it as um, a beautiful thing because we've been trained to believe that feeling and that emotions are weakness or expressing them as weakness. It's especially prevalent in certain cultures. But I would say there's an element of it everywhere in the world where it's like you have to show no emotion or you have to, right. can't show somebody that they hurt you or you can't be clear about what hurts your feelings. Actually, no, because if you do that, then you are pretending to be a wall or a rock
0: right right
1: (laughs) what's the purpose of you pretending that you don't care or that you don't feel if it's only to especially like with this dating culture right now and the advice that we're seeing I feel that a lot of it is just meant to to keep like these little temporary ego-based chases
0: Mm. but
1: for you to really find You know a person or a work environment or a career whatever it is where you genuinely feel like you can be yourself and you can say hey that hurt my feelings or you have to be willing to lose people because you expressed yourself
0: yeah right Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge lesson. I think so often, and you're right. There's so much toxic shit that gets spewed around, around the dating cultures and like, well, you know, if someone doesn't text you back, you should be like this. Or if, you know, someone in a relationship does this, then you should, and it's all, whenever my girlfriends have called me for advice, um, in their own relationships, I always say the same thing. Like, are you being your authentic self? And are you speaking and telling him your truth? Because yes. if you're not, then what's the point of being in the relationship? And it's true, mm-hmm. like you said, for for a partner, a significant other, for a work environment, for friendships, like if you're not speaking what you need and what you feel, it's not an authentic relationship. Um, so whether you're trying in the early games of dating to, to try and, you know, impress someone that it's not going to last in the long run, if you can't let your walls down and be vulnerable and be yourself.
1: Absolutely. And it, it doesn't last because you can put on a show for a few months, but you're, you're going to get tired at some point of pretending that certain things that really do matter to you don't matter to you. And again, like when you asked the question earlier, like what are you getting out of the relationship if you're not being your authentic self? Well, most times it's getting that validation that as long as someone loves me, that means I'm okay. Right. Because for us, again, this is, it goes back to building that home externally. You're building that safety externally, that validation externally. So you're saying someone loves me, but they're not really loving me. They're just loving this version that fits what someone they love is like or looks like or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if if they love me and I'm with them, then that must mean that I deserve love. And so that root pain that's there is feeling like you don't deserve love. And so you're you're putting a band-aid. this is how I describe it in welcome home. You're putting a band-aid on a gushing wound you're not healing it. You're not yeah. um, it's it's just going to at some point it is gonna continue hurting you until you heal it from the root. And then you're not gonna need someone's love or presence in your life for you to say, well, their presence or their love means their conditional presence, their conditional love means that, you know, I, I deserve love. But it's just with condition. But yeah. That's not that's not authentic love towards you.
0: Yeah. Um, was there an, a time in your life or an experience that happened that made you kind of awaken to all of this when you were like, oh, shit, I haven't built my home within myself and I need to readjust to do that? Was there something that prompted all of this?
1: It was honestly a series of moments throughout my life where, as I mentioned to you, I lived with multiple relatives. I I got bullied in school for being sensitive and for being the good girl and for always doing the right thing and doing really well and you know I'm a people pleaser since I can remember because that's how my mom is and I and she's very kind and everybody loves her and I'm exactly like her. So every moment where I was prompted to make a choice for myself, I would feel this like enormous guilt for how everybody else around me is going to feel. So it was in moments like that where I was just sitting down and just reminding myself or asking myself, like, who am I living this life for? And what's the point of having, for example, my parents or my community or my friends or all these people happy and pleased with me and and seeing me as a good person if I'm not happy. So like one of Mm. those moments was a few years ago. So I I used to cover, I used to wear the hijab since the age of about 13 until about 28. So um, when I made the decision or when I started thinking about it, I remember feeling like it was impossible because if I let go of the way that I dressed, then that was going to somehow uh, signal or symbolize that you know i wanted to show my body and why would i want to show my body that means bad things about me that means i'm a you know i'm a bad girl i'm a bad person i'm a bad daughter i'm a bad everything and a bad influence on others you know and so that was one of the biggest decisions where i had one of those moments where i said but i don't see myself covered anymore I, I don't see myself covered anymore. When I think of what I would look like in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, I actually don't see myself that way. And so that process of unveiling, which in Welcome Home, I talk about it as the like literal unveiling, but also unveiling layers of, of yourself and kind of uncovering before yourself so that you could figure out who you authentically are. That process of unveiling brought me closer to who I am because it, it put me in situations where I was expected to explain myself, where I was expected mm. to defend myself. And at the end of the day, that was a, such a personal decision. Why do I have to explain to you? But right. I was the kind of girl who would just think for hours and days and not sleep at night thinking, well, how am I going to make sure that that person still sees me as a good person or whatever? And so I had to let go of that. And um, that was a very powerful thing for me. And, you know, once you realize the kind of conditions that people had... um, for loving you or respecting you or seeing you as a good person, and how shallow those conditions are, if they have to do with the way you dress or with the way you speak or the way you live your life, you really do become grateful for taking that step to actually be yourself and to figure out who you are, because those people weren't serving you at all, if that love is coming with
0: condition. That's so right. Yes. Um, Did you when you decided to do that um, and unveil yourself, did you feel any pushback from people? Like were absolutely. those fears substantial?
1: Yes <laughs> absolutely. And to this day, actually, I still sometimes if I post something that is a is a little little bit revealing, or however, someone you know um, defines that, sometimes I just I wear a, a sleeveless shirt. And I get comments saying, Oh, like, at least dress a little modest, or um, I used to respect you, but I don't respect you anymore. I used to look up to you. um, And I still get so many comments that are like, I miss the old you. And I'm like, well, I'm not the old me.
0: I am me. now.
1: The old me is
0: part of me. But is that from followers, like people you don't know, or from people that are in your life?
1: It's mostly people who follow me, but I do and I have got it from multiple people in my life. So I actually wrote about this experience in Welcome Home where shortly after I had taken the hijab off, I was at a family gathering and my aunt looked at me and she said, so you think you look good now? Like she made a comment like that and it hurt so much. It was in front of everybody. Because there Mm. was an element of, you don't look good right now. And I, I was very, when I first took it off, I didn't know how to style my hair. I didn't, you know, there were a lot of things that I wanted to learn that, and I was obviously just many times when I would leave my place, even though I still like covered my arms and fully covered my body, I still felt naked in a way, even with my neck showing, and so, you know, here is one of my biggest fears being realized in front of so many people that I love. And I just didn't respond to her. Mm. And um, and I remember that weeks went by or months or something, but a period of time had gone by. And she called my sister and told her, you know, tell Nejwa that I apologize for what I said and I think it was the silence in that moment and not not internalizing um just whatever she aimed at me whether it was hate or I I really don't know not allowing it to turn me into someone I'm not because I wasn't going to say something mean or hurtful because that's just not who I am um Mm -hmm. but I've I have had or like I've had you know distant family members who say things about me, like I'm a bad influence because I I don't cover anymore. And I just, I don't listen to those things anymore at all because someone else's choices for themselves don't blame me for them. And if I've influenced someone to um, make a decision for themselves, then I'm proud to say that I did influence them, you
0: know? yeah and it's so clear from your books and your following and your work like how many people you've influenced in such a incredibly positive and helpful way thank you
1: thank you
0: yeah i can't i can't imagine what that must have been like um you talk a lot about in in your work of this the concept of letting go yeah i (laughs) notoriously bad at being able to let go and kind of release control. So can you share a little bit about your kind of thoughts and philosophy around letting go?
1: So quite a bit of letting go is about forgiveness, mostly Mm self-forgiveness, because a lot of what we get stuck on is, oh, I wish I'd Did something differently or I wish I just stood up for myself in that moment or I wish maybe if I was different with that person, they would have stayed and they wouldn't have left me or maybe if I stayed on that path, then there's a lot of ifs that are based in the past. And sometimes you do have to let go of like future goals for yourself or the image of who you thought you needed to be. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it's all about bringing yourself back to what you only have control over, which is right now, nothing else. So when you think of a past event that you regret, show yourself the kind of empathy that you would show a friend who's sitting across from you. Like, I do understand that you wish you would have done something differently, but is there really a point in putting all of your energy into that right now because the past is behind you and one of the strategies that i use that actually really helps me like i remember the day that i this came to me it came out of a personal struggle of being stuck in the past and having not having the ability to let go of just the uh, feelings i had towards someone in the past and so Mm-hmm. I imagined that I was, I had the past on one side and the future on one side, and I was in the middle. And what I was experiencing was like both of them were inching their way in. I wasn't living in the now. I was constantly mm-hmm. either consumed in the past or fears for the future. Like, if I let go of this, what is it going to mean about this? And right. you know, we want to be anchored to something because it's better to be anchored to something than and be like floating and not anchored to anything at all. So that's why so many people will stay in uh, jobs that they don't like because they have that safety. But what if I let go and I don't find something else or a person or whatever it is? Or if I let go of the image of the woman that I've been trained to become, then who am I? Like that's too scary and I'm going to lose too many people. And so I would put all of these um, events, moments, definitions, whatever that I identify with from the past and the future. And I would just imagine that I'm physically pushing them away. Mm -hmm. And that helps so much because you are literally reminding yourself that none of this matters and none of this matters, none of the past and none of the future. This right now. And it's so relieving and freeing. So whatever it is that you are aiming to let go of or having a hard time letting go of, just the moment that you remind yourself that you're in control of seeing it, but saying, I don't want you in my space right now. I want to build something else. I want to Mm. do the next best thing that I can do. Then it makes it so much easier to do that. Um, But... You know, if you ask me specific questions about letting go, I can give you different strategies. But in general, that's what I would say um, is a very powerful tool to really let go of anything, is to bring yourself back to right now. What am I feeling in my body? If you were to close your eyes, this is like, I can't tell you how powerful it is. And do this next time for whoever is listening. The moment you're triggered... By a word you hear or a behavior that you see whether it's towards you or towards someone else instead of immediately going to your mind and, and making a judgment about that close your eyes and go to your body and see where the tension is hmm. for me it's mostly in my arms so if it's in your arms what I do is I start either like rubbing my arm or tapping to release that energy because I learned that you know whatever it is that triggered you it's coming from a place in your body where trauma was um compiled over the years so you physically Mm -hmm. have to release it and when you do that you are not sitting there getting stuck and how could they and no you're saying oh wow this is what my body feels like right now like i can't believe that what my mind thinks is is uh, is um or, or what I feel trapped in. When I go into my body, my body is actually telling me to escape, but I'm not listening to my body. I'm listening to what my ego is trying to tell me. And so
0: when you right. go into
1: your body, you are allowing yourself to be with yourself and to self-soothe in a way. That also really helps with letting go because instead of focusing on changing whatever it is, you're focusing on changing what's within and you're focusing yeah. on
0: validating for
1: yourself how that event affected you instead of trying to change it so that you're not triggered.
0: Yes. Oh, I love that. And I love the the analogy of pushing both of them away. What if, because I know a lot of people listening to this show are struggling and letting go of a relationship mm-hmm. that hurt them, um, what would you say if it's more about centered around a person that you're trying to let go of? Mm -hmm.
1: I could say with 99% confidence, because there's always that 1% that uh, will tell you otherwise, that the pain has nothing to do with that person. The pain has to do with your belief that you don't deserve a certain kind of love. That's the pain.
0: I talk about
1: this in Welcome Home where I say one of the strategies in the surrender room is don't try to change an ending to change the ending. And what I mean by that is your whole life you've lived in a way where certain things have happened that have proven to you the same end, which is I don't deserve love. And so when you're struggling with someone leaving you, that's one of the endings, right? You're trying to mm-hmm. change that one ending in any way just so that you could convince yourself that that big ending of everybody walks away and I don't deserve love is not true. So you're you're mm. not trying to change the limiting belief you have about yourself. You're trying to change one of the results of you having that limiting belief so that that limiting belief will go away and it's not going to work so if you remind yourself that it really isn't about that person because most people that i talk to are struggling with a breakup will tell you i wasn't happy but like i should have left you know but that's your ego Right. right if you weren't happy then who cares who left was it right for you no you want your ego to feel better, like you would have wanted to end that relationship just so that you feel better about yourself, you haven't solved the problem. Mm-hmm. You haven't solved, you haven't gone back to that story that you've been telling yourself your whole life. So focus on that story, focus on extracting it from the root. And Welcome Home, I refer to it as the why can't I have that story? And for me, Mm. that was feeling important to someone, feeling loved, feeling embraced. Like from my earlier years when I lived with different relatives, just seeing how they embraced their kids, I would think, why can't I have that? So what's your that? And change the why can't I have that to why don't I have that so that you can give yourself power to actually have that. As long as you're saying, why can I never blah, 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 or why can't I, that shows impossibility, and you want to get rid of that. And so you need to go back to the pain, like what's really hurting you right now. It's it's not the person, because if that person was yeah. right for you, you wouldn't be hurting over them right now. And again, I said, there's always that 1% that's like, you know, I lost someone who I really love or this person was actually the right person for me, but, you know, they were deployed somewhere. Things like that where this will not apply, but in most cases, you need to go back to the root source of the pain and extract it and get rid of it. And the only way to do that is to, live through who you are and before that comes discovering who you are so it's a process it's a journey it's not going to happen overnight it's not going to happen by you listening to this one episode you have to do the work that it takes to just obliterate those beliefs that you have about yourself from the root
0: yeah yeah. I talk about that all the time that if you're attracting something, it's not unlucky. It's not, oh, why do I keep like attracting people that cheat on me? Why do I keep attracting people that are yeah. mean to me? There's something in you, that limiting belief that you spoke about, that's attracting that. And until you fix that or go back to the root or the source of the pain, as you say, you're not going to be able to attract something different. And so that's so important to know that it's not about them. It's, it's about you and what you need to fix within in that home inside yourself. Yes. Before you can have someone that comes and compliments that. Yes.
1: It's all about self-reflection. It's all about the self. Instead of like thinking, oh, why is he doing that or why is she doing that? Or just stop. You don't have control over that. You have control over you. You have control over what you accept. You have control over what you believe about yourself. You do because The moment you realize that you don't believe you deserve love, it is your responsibility to do the work to get to a place where you genuinely believe that you do deserve love. You would do it to your niece, you would do it to your friend, you would do it to someone around you. So why not do do it to yourself?
0: Yes, that's right. Oh my God. So much goodness that you just dropped on us today. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough. Can you tell everybody where they can find you and where they can get the books, please?
1: Yeah. So, um, you can find me on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and it's all at Najwa Zabian, N-A-J-W-A-Z-E-B-I-A-N. Um, Also on YouTube, I have much longer videos and my books are available literally wherever books are sold. Um, Welcome Home is the most recent one. It has the bird on it. You can't miss it. And yeah, uh, yeah, that's those are the places where you can find me. And um, I hope that listening to this episode, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. And I hope that everybody who's listening, if there is anything you took today, I hope it's. To start becoming aware of moments where you feel that you are abandoning yourself to be welcomed by someone else and try to redirect, try to redirect and say, I wanna become that for myself so that I never have to abandon myself to be welcomed elsewhere.
0: Oh my God, that's so fucking powerful. I love (laughs) it so much. Thank you for being here. I thoroughly enjoyed finally connecting with you. So I I really appreciate it. Thank you. Same here. And
1: I look forward to reading
0: all of your books. Yay. Ditto, girl. <laughs> I, I cannot wait. I want to thank Najwa so much for joining us on FML Talk today. I hope you guys got a lot out of today's episode. I picked up some things that really resonated with me, and I hope you did too. As always, make sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast.
1: And become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.